regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There's a song that makes its way into my heavy rotation playlist this time of year. It's perhaps more fitting for the January-February time frame, but with December in full swing, it's been on my mind. It's called Song for a Winter's Night by the late great Canadian folk singer Gordon Lightfoot. It's about a man holed up in a cabin in the dead of night, snow falling steadily outside in the bitter cold. He's a heartsick lover, all alone and longing to be with his beloved. We feel his ache in the song's refrain, if I could only have you near to breathe a sigh or two, I would be happy just to hold the hands I love on this winter night with you. Is it sappy? Sure. But the feeling is all too familiar for any of us not to feel at least a prick of sympathy. I want to draw our attention to the second verse. The smoke is rising in the shadows overhead. My glass is almost empty. I read again between the lines upon each page the words of love you sent me. You see, there's a letter from the beloved. But we quickly learn that it isn't necessarily a source of comfort. This time, when he goes to the refrain, he changes it slightly. Instead of, if I could only have you near, we hear, if I could know within my heart that you were lonely too, I would be happy just to hold the hands I love on this winter night with you. So there's some anxiety. Does the beloved feel the same way as the lover? What is written in the lines of that letter? And what is he reading between them? This, I think, is where the song connects with us on the second Sunday of Advent. Winter is coming on, and we find ourselves feeling the absence of our beloved. He left us some time ago at the Ascension, and we look now to the promise of his return, but we begin to wonder, how long must we wait? Is he still coming? Would we even welcome that? We too have a letter from the beloved. We have the scriptures, but they do not always console. As St. Peter reminds us, there are some things in them hard to understand. And we are well aware of the many ways they can be twisted to self-serving agendas. The collect this morning speaks to our situation. It knows that as important as they are, the scriptures of themselves are not enough. If we are to find hope in them, we must ask for grace to engage them well. Let's hear the collect again. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Grant us so to hear, read, etc. Let us encounter scripture in such a way that we may embrace and hold fast to hope. Give us grace to find hope in the words you've left us. It's an honest prayer. Do you find hope when you read scripture? 
We all, of course, want to be quick to say yes. But if we are honest, we have to say, not always. With St. Peter, we recognize that there are some hard things in the scriptures, and we don't know what to do with them. Or maybe what once gave us hope does so no longer. It can be hard to hold on to the hope that we find in scripture. But the Collect identifies two other graces as well. Hope, it suggests, is cultivated by patience and comfort. We pray that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to hope. So we pray for three graces, patience, comfort, and hope. I'd like to take a look at each in turn, starting with hope and working our way back to patience. Hope is a theme we find in all of our texts this morning. The oracle from Isaiah is filled with hope. The prophet announces good news, calls for it to be proclaimed from the mountaintops. The Lord God is coming. He is coming to feed his flock like a shepherd, to gather the lambs in his arms, to carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. What an image. For the Jews in exile who first heard this, or perhaps they were just returned to the land and struggling to rebuild, wondering if it would all work out if they would once again be the people of God. This must have been a word of great hope indeed. Fast forward a few centuries to the time of Jesus. St. Mark opens his gospel with the very words we heard from Isaiah. We are told that the promise of a voice crying in the wilderness, the herald of this good news preparing the way of the Lord, is now being fulfilled in the ministry of St. John the Baptist. He is announcing the imminent arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, the very shepherd coming to care for and protect God's vulnerable sheep. What hopeful anticipation must have animated the droves of people flocking to the wilderness to hear and to be baptized by John. But how is hope sustained? How do we not only embrace hope, as our college says, but ever hold fast to it as well? How do we not lose hope? This is why we also ask for comfort. Hope must be nourished by comfort in the present. We must somehow be comforted now by the very thing we hope for. Recall the letter in the song. The lover clings to those words as something of the beloved that provides comfort until they can be reunited again. And so, too, scripture itself can be of comfort to us as we wait for Christ to come again. In the words of the Collect, we pray for the comfort of your holy word. Now, this phrase is, I think, deliberately and helpfully ambiguous. Of course, God's word can refer to holy scripture, and I think it is meant to here, but it is more than that. We know from the prologue of St. John's Gospel that the scriptures are not the primary identity of the word of God. No, the word of God is God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal utterance of God beyond and before all things, who late in time became flesh and dwelt among us. It is this incarnate word whose coming we await and with whom we long to be reunited once again. 
And the words of scripture are not all we have of the incarnate word to comfort us now in his absence. Whenever we partake of the blessed sacrament in the Eucharist, we are united with the word of God. He gives us his flesh and blood to become one with our own here and now, to sustain and comfort us in the present, to help us hold fast to hope by giving us a taste of what we hope for. But like hope, we all know that comfort too is not a constant. It ebbs and flows, and when it is absent, we can feel helpless to find it anywhere. As we've already noted, the scriptures, like the love letter, do not always console. Maybe we've heard the words of the prophet, comfort, oh comfort my people, one too many times. We've become jaded, it's been too long. What is promised in those words hasn't come to be, or at least it isn't our reality right now. What once ministered to us deeply now rings hollow fails to alleviate our anxious present. Even the Eucharist doesn't always provide instant comfort. How many times have we eaten and drunk and returned to our seats, our lives, feeling no different than when we first arrived? I'm not saying, of course, that these encounters with the word have no effect. They do, even when we don't notice, sometimes especially then. But we must admit that we do not always feel comforted by them. We find that there are times that nothing seems to comfort us. What then? This is why we also pray for patience. Sustaining hope is born not only of comfort in the present, but patience. And here I want to look at our epistle reading from St. Peter. Patience is one of his themes. But there's a twist. The patience St. Peter talks about is not our patience, but God's. The church he writes to is beleaguered under persecution while it waits like us for the day of the Lord's return. The verses just prior to our reading speak of the taunts of others questioning whether that day will ever come, whether the world won't just continue on as it always has. St. Peter introduces patience not as another item on our to-do list, another thing we must conjure up to struggle on. Instead, he offers it as a word of comfort. He reminds the church that what we perceive as God's delay in making good on his promises is actually a sign of his great love for us. He is being patient with us so that we will be ready when he comes. When he comes again, it will be as our judge. That will mean vindication for some and condemnation for others. And he doesn't really want to condemn anyone. As St. Peter writes, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So he is patient with us. He gives us time to prepare for his return. And so while it is hard to wait, we can take comfort in the fact that as long as we are waiting, we are living under the grace of God's patience. Have you lost hope? Are you struggling to find comfort, even comfort from the word? 
remember patience. Not yours. That's probably in short supply, too. But remember God's patience. You are still here now. There is still time. Let that be your starting point. And then remember that like all of God's graces, this too is sufficient. However much time you have been given, it is enough. I can't say for sure what will happen next or how it will happen. But I know that the giver of all good things, the one whose loving patience is on display even now in the very fact of your existence, will not leave you comfortless. Perhaps it will begin with this realization of divine patience. I am here. I exist. I have been given time by someone who loves me and wants me to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is. And then, maybe by surprise, you will encounter his word afresh. You will recognize him in the sacraments or in the pages of scripture, and you will be comforted. Maybe like the lover in the song, you will read again the words on a familiar page and notice something between the lines. The word speaking love to you anew, and it will fill you with hope. And as you embrace that hope, you will find you have been given new strength to hold it fast. Lord, let it be so for us. Amen. Amen.